Welcome to our sixth week on Ephesians. We have one more after this. We'll uh, bring in the new year. Well, I guess we'll, before and after the new year, the Word of God will be continuing through our lives, so I guess that's your analogy. I don't know. Um, so we've come to the end of chapter 5, which is in, in the flow of what we've studied, is continuing on the exhortation Paul has to, in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. And we've learned a lot about, in chapters 1 and 3 specifically, about these glorious truths that are ours as, as uh, saints who inherit the immense riches of God. Chapter 1, he says, The glorious purpose is that God is working in Christ to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Chapter 2, we, we saw an example of that. He's raised us from death to life and has formed one new man of Jews and Gentiles into a body that we call the church. In chapter 3, he talked about the mystery of that gospel, how God has made known to him this mystery, which wasn't made known to sons of men in other generations, and so that we may know all these things, including we may know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. And and kind of the operating verse we've been doing, the thematic verse we've been uh, using is chapter 1, verse 3. God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then chapter 4, we start to see a bit of a switch more of an, an application of these truths that we've been learning. And living out that calling, we see that the importance of maintaining the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace and attaining to the unity of the faith and mature manhood as a whole church. So first is a whole church, and then he starts to dive into a lot of individual commands there in the end of chapter 4. We see the importance of individually walking in a way that shows we have been renewed in the Spirit, in the Spirit of our minds, and have put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So this includes things like telling the truth, being generous rather than stealing, using our mouths for thanksgiving and building others up rather than crude joking, and being patient and kind instead of angry and bitter. So a real transformation of life for those who have come to understand the truths that are theirs that were planned before eternity and that in the middle of God uniting all things in Christ includes us as individuals who receive the salvation, are raised from death to life, and we're transformed now. We're new people. And so in that vein, uh, chapter 5, verses 15 to 21, first Turner reader. Chapter 5. Sure, you can do it. I haven't assigned some. So this is kind of the end of what we've studied so far. Okay, so now in that, in that same vein of these individual commands of, and these categories we talked about, about being in the light, not darkness, about being wise, not foolish, selfless, not selfish, now Paul's going to take us from just our, our individual selves and how we are with everybody into some specific relationships that we have in the world. And again, this is continuing out. What, it, what does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called? So you need to bring with you everything we've learned thus far into these relationships. And so for the first relationship, uh, first reader on the top, 
Uh, just the, uh, the rest of chapter 5 there, 22 to 33. Right, so the real, first relationship we see is that of a marriage. And there's a lot of information here, relatively, for this relationship. And what we're going to see in the three relationships that Paul talks about in this book are we have someone in that relationship who leads, in case the husband, and one who submits as the primary specific role in that relationship. Uh, next, uh, chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Second Turner reader. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment and the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your, your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service or people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service. All right, so we got through our next two, actually. You're fine. We're good. You're, we're, we need to go fast because we're going to run out of time, so it's good. All right, so the second relationship there is the family. Uh, and just by that, I mean uh, there's one command there to parents as a whole and then one specifically to fathers um, and then to children. And then if, I'll just call it a work relationship. We just did a whole series on this, so we're not going to go into too much detail. But there we have a master and then a servant or a slave or a bondservant. And so those are the three relations that Paul kind of talks about in our passage today. Now, in other places, he'll go into depth on a couple other ones. First uh, Peter 5 there, uh, as one example I, I shown there, you, we have, these are kind of realms that we all live in, or, or some of these realms we all live in. And I'm not going to say that for sure this is exhaustive, but it's pretty, pretty uh, inclusive of everything we kind of run into in the world. So in a church, we have... Elders, or overseers, or shepherds, pastors. In, the, in chapter 4, he calls them uh, pastor teachers. And then we have the congregation, or I'm going to call it the flock, because that's the word that's used there in 1 Peter 5. And then society, or civilian life, or the nation. I say we have governing authorities. So it's called the government here. And then we have citizens, or all of us.
and Romans 13, 1 Peter 2, lots of places we talk about. So these are all kind of the major spheres we find ourselves in that Paul wants us to think about how we would walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've received. And so as you look at these, as we understand what it means to either be a leader or one who submits in these relationships, or even, even so, you'd say in a church relationship, we have a relationship with one of each other, right? It's not always a leader submitter kind of relationship. Um, in society, there's a way that we relate to the world, to the Gentiles, to those, just to our neighbors. There are neighbors out there. And of course, you know, and there's other family relationships. Um, and so, again, but th- this is how Paul kind of sets it up, primarily these three. You can learn so- what it means to be a leader from these other categories. And there are certain truths and, that you can bring into each of your relationships. And yet, at the, each, uh, at the same time, each of these relationships are somewhat distinct and unique, so you have to be careful, right? You can't just do what you want with it. Uh, Gwyneth has been good to remind me when I come home from work. I'm not, she's not one of my airmen, right? She's not one of my enlisted folks that I can just box around, right? So she's, that's good for me to know, right? I can't just transfer things. And yet, certainly there are things I've probably learned in one area of life that I can apply to another. Uh, the first big thing I want to look at, and probably the most important, so I put it first, is that these relationships really image spiritual realities. We talked about all these blessings are ours in Christ in the heavenly places. Uh, marriage is the most specific here. He says that this is, I'm talking, when I'm talking about marriage, I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. And we have all these details there, what it means. The husband imaging Christ, the wife imaging the church. Well, we can look at the family as well. That's quite obvious. We call God our Father. Chapter 3, Paul said, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Our whole concept of family comes from God. In chapter 6, he says, We're bondservants of Christ. We're not, we don't just have human leaders. We are bondservants of Christ. We render service with a goodwill as to the Lord and not to man. And he who is, God is both their master and yours is in heaven. So when we, even when we use these words, bondservant and master, they have a context for us as Christians. And one of the greatest things we learned, I, I can't remember if it was the attributes class or the, the Trinity class, just it, it was a big aha moment for me. It was that as a triune God, God is by nature a God in relationship. And really, because we as people image God, so individually we image God, we kind of get that, all people Christian or non-Christian, we image God. We're, we're image bearers. He created us with his image imprinted upon us. Now, we've, sin has muddied that up. So as we look at our, our fellow human beings, God's not like that. Well, yeah, it's, it's been twisted and muddied up by sin. But there's still an image of God there. In the worst serial killer in the world, there's an image of God. And there's value and worth. Well, in the same way, because God is a God in relationship, three in one, in our relationships as well, image him. How we, how we relate, any two people, three people, thousands of people relate together, somehow images God and the relationship that's true in the Trinity. And of course, again, it's muddied up. And so as we consider how to walk, uh, walk out this calling and show that calling, we, we ought to be imaging the truth of God in those relationships. And that's what Paul's calling us to. Now that ought to be That ought to be pretty humbling. (laughs) Pretty humbling that as you walk in this world, it ought to be humbling as an individual. As my neighbor looks at me, 
As I bear the name of Christ, I'm saying something to them of Christ by how I live, right? That's how we're, we're walking a matter worthy of our calling. We're acting like who we are. Well, the same way, as I'm a husband or a wife, a father, a child, or whatever, I am saying something to the world. When I call God my Father, the way I am as a father says something. That, that, that ought to be sobering. As you, te- as you are a, a, a parent to your child, your child is learning something about God from how you treat them. <laughs> if that doesn't help you, I don't know what will. As a husband leads and lays down his life for his wife, how true is that of a picture of God? As a wife submits to her husband and follows his leading, how, how much does that show the world and show your neighbors and your girlfriends what it, what it means for the church to submit to Christ? And you can go on and on. And so when we, look, when we think about these, we don't want to go to, if you go to a marriage seminar or a family seminar or whatever, don't, don't just think of these as a bunch of checklists of do's and don'ts and you know, nice little hints and how I, how I can fulfill my role. You're going to completely miss it. Understand what you, what you are. And so you're going to image Christ well or do it poorly. And the relationship the church has with Christ and so forth. And so as you're humbled, and I hope you are, uh, think about things that Paul's already encouraged us with. In chapter 1, he said, The immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. The, the greatness of God's power is immeasurable. And it's in you. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. That's the kind of power you have. You might feel like you're in a hopeless marriage, uh, a, a hopeless relationship with your boss, whatever. You have, you have immeasurable power that is beyond anything you can think available to you. You have a God who knows what's going on and can fix things, or at least sustain you in the midst of it if he decides not to fix it. Now, we understand our earthly roles from our heavenly relationships. I originally said spiritual relationships, but that sounded really Gnostic to me. So, uh, our earthly roles from our, our heavenly relationships, and vice versa. So, what do I mean? So, not only do I, I understand how to be a husband, father, master, uh, servant, uh, a member of the congregation, whatever. I understand that by understanding some spiritual truths I already know. Um, He's going to tell us there in, in chapter 5, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So if I want to know how I am as a husband, I can see how Christ loved the church. Oh, that's, that's how I am. I'm to model myself after Christ. He's my model. But at the same time, he says that, look, look, consider someone who nourishes and cherishes her body. That's a natural thing that we understand. We know that we take care of ourselves. And he says, well, guess what? That's how it is with Christ's care of the church. And so on one hand, I can know about Christ and the church to understand my marriage. On the other hand, I can understand certain earthly truths. I know we love ourselves. I already know that. So now I get to understand more about Christ and the church. And I never know how far to take this, but it's not as if Christ kind of came in the world and, all right, I need, you know, it's like a pastor in his study getting ready for a sermon. I, I need to find a good picture, a good analogy, so that I can communicate. And Jesus looks around the world and says, oh, there's a marriage. I can, I can make something of that. Or, you know, father and child, I, I, okay, I, I can teach them something like that. No. God created marriage to be a picture of Christ in the church. 
It's the other way around. I mean, that's amazing. He says that, you know, this is a mystery. In Genesis 2, when God said, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. In Genesis 2, he's talking about Christ and the church. That's astounding. <laughs> I mean, that, th- those are unsearchable truths. What, what is he doing? So God has fashioned the world and designed the world in such a way that we can know about him. Right? It's not just about us living in the world. It's living in the world and understanding more and more our truths about him. Marriage is a profound mystery. He's, he's talked already about the mystery of his will, the mystery of the gospel, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. It's the definition of a mystery. He's able to do far more abundantly than all we think. That, so marriage specifically is called a mystery. I, I think there's probably an element of truth in all of these. That there are just truths going on. There's ways that we image God that we're probably even unaware of. And we best just in, in faith do what God says. <laughs> and know that he's doing something through that. And yet I love that in uh, the end of chapter 5 there. He says, this is a profound mystery. Verse 32, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, look at the simple, simple uh, wisdom we, we ought to know no matter what. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So though it's a profound mystery, it's very simple. Love your wife, submit your husband, done, right? I mean, there is no marriage problem in the world that doesn't come down to those two things. Not one. I can't imagine. You're looking for a spouse? It's not that hard, right? Find someone who will lay your, his life down for you, who will love you, who, who will put you first. Find someone who will submit to your lead as, as, you, as you desire to lead and to love her, that she'll, she'll be submissive. Because she's one who's submissive to Christ. It's already evident in her life. He's one who already loves Christ. It's, it's already evident in his life. Unfortunately, such a man does not exist. And such a woman does not exist. But God helps us. Okay. Yes. Give me a chance to drink. Go ahead. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I mean, I, I, and we're not going to go too far into this, but I, I suppose one answer is, is husbands tend not to love, right? And as a leader, you can so abuse your authority to, to and we're going to get there in the end, but, you know, a servant leader, a humble, a, a really a leader who is submitting to his wife by giving of his own desires. Um, and Titus 2, older women are instructed younger women to love their husbands and their wives. So they are told to love as well. But... Uh, yeah, and a woman will tend to want to usurp that authority. And maybe you could say that about anyone who is under authority. We don't kind of tend to like that. Our tendency would be to usurp. First Peter 5 goes on to say, young men, submit to your elders. It's, it's just, it's, a, it's, it's part of us. We want to be in control. And so because God has designed functionally to have a leader and one who submits, that will be the tendency is to fight against that. So a husband won't love it will, will you know, become domineering. 
First Peter 5 says, don't become domineering over the flock. Husbands might tend to do that. So that would be one answer. I don't want to go too far down that, so Ralph, don't take us there. All right, go. It's not a marriage seminar. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the miracle of the Bible that modern day psychologists are just kind of now figuring out that the woman needs love and the man needs support. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, again, it's not just willy-nilly. God says, all right, you know, you're on team A, B, A, B, husband, wife, husband, wife. No. God's created us. We talked about that in our, our transgender class, right? That we are created with certain gifts as male and female. And, if, and then if called to marriage, husband and wife. Okay, uh, number two on your sheets. As an example, uh, we could take any of these relationships, but I just wanted to show an example of how these relationships are living out truths that we've already read. So I'll just four quickly for marriage um, that we've already seen in Ephesians. Um, we talk about love, right? And he's already said, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, and height, and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So in a marriage, there ought to be a palpable love. And the marriage is rooted and grounded in love, and that provides strength to that marriage. Holiness. There's a lot in there about um, holiness. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of those, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Same language in chapter 5, verse 27. A, a husband is concerned about his wife's holiness. We're united into one body as a new creation. And so there are two and made one. We saw that with the church. We see that overall in the world. He put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of, who, of him who fills all in all. And at first I was diving. I mean, some of these, any analogy or metaphor has its limits, right? You've got to be careful. And I was trying to think, well, the husband's the head. That makes the wife the body. Never calls her the body. But he does love her as his own body. And yet the two are one body under Christ. It's, the metaphors all start mixing, so you've got to be careful. But uh, there's a new creation there. How can two become one? I, I don't know. It's a mystery. There's some spiritual truths there. We, maybe we don't fully grasp, but we best respect them. And that there are design differences. And I think that kind of comes to, to your guys' points. There, there are di- differences. There are, the people are designed differently. The roles are different. And in chapter 4, verse 7, we saw even within the church, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so just as a church is many parts in one body, um, and, and it becomes a functioning one unit, that would be same in a marriage, or in a family, in a work relationship. Each part needs to be doing its, its, each member needs to be doing its part for it to function well. You know, it, it doesn't take but one part to kind of, to, to be resisting their calling for it to all go out of, out of whack. <clears throat> so because we image God, this is a really important one. Number three, our authority is derived and delegated from God, who is our ultimate authority. So if you're in green up here and anywhere in your life, you know, 
don't think too much of yourself. You're middle management, <laughs> in a sense. <coughs> You're there as a mouthpiece of God. You, you are serving a role where God is, is demonstrating and executing His authority in the world. 1 Peter 5, So I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will see the unfading crown of glory. Often in the, I don't know if it's Puritan writings, whatever, they're called under-shepherds. Right? Tim, you understand that, don't you? You are an under-shepherd. There's a chief shepherd. Romans 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, resists what God has appointed. When you're resisting your civil authority, you're resisting God. That's an important truth. So, we're, so we as, as human leaders in this world, we're not to make up our own laws. We're, we're not to command or encourage others to break laws. That would be a great sin. Jesus said in Matthew 5, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, we'll be called least in the kingdom of heaven. If you as a parent are not diligent to know God's laws, to pass on to your children, you are sinning to your children. You're creating confusion uh, among the, in them and, and creating them to sin in disobedience to God. It's a good thing there's repentance, isn't it? <laughs> good thing there's a forgiving God out there. Fathers, bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I'm to instruct my children in what the Lord instructs, not my own. So, of course, if we're forced to disobey God or man, the decision is clear. We disobey man, and we're innocent of anything wrong. In Acts 4, the apostles were preaching. They called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Yes, it is right to obey your civil leaders. But if they tell you not to preach the gospel, you disobey. And that is not sin. I mean, this is a tough one, right? Wives, if you think your husband is leading you into sin. I mean, there's all sorts of steps you can take, right? Pray about it. Search the scriptures. Know if you're right. Talk to him, plead with him, seek counsel. If they're both in the church, it makes it a little easier. You have, you have some, some other authority you can, you can appeal to. Come and ask for help. But in, if necessary, in the end, if you're being commanded to sin, you disobey. That would be right. And you accept the, you accept the consequences. Peter says in chapter 2 to, to a worker, what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this it you have been called. God doesn't promise to save you out of that circumstance. But he will bless you through it. Sometimes we've been called to suffer. And that might be in having allegiance to our ultimate authority. But because we're also all image bearers of God... We respect the consciences, sensitivities, and preferences of those under our leadership. First Peter 3 says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Because you're not the ultimate authority, I mean, you've got to have some humility to know you might not have it all right, number one. 
Number two, you're not the Holy Spirit. And that's where, where the, the analogy is you've got to be careful. If, the husband is not Christ to his wife. He is not her Savior. Wives, your husband is not your Savior. He's not your God. Don't replace him. And so we, we need to live in a very understanding way in, in all these relationships. You know, our children, as they're young, we're a lot more specific and binary, and, you know, you will do exactly what I say. But as they grow and develop uh, closer to adulthood and into adulthood, it's, you know, you, the, the, the restraints come off. You have more principles and, and, and specific biblical commands, but it's no longer specific times and places as it once was. They're becoming their own people, Right? And they might act out uh, their, their role as a Christian in a different way than you would. Husbands, your wives might, might live out their Christian liberty or, or, or their life or their calling in a different way than you would. And that's okay. They're not you. And that takes a lot of wisdom and humility to consider those situations. It's interesting to me that husbands are never commanded here to take authority. The husband is the authority. But you can't you can't force your wife's heart. You can't force your children's heart. There's appropriate roles and such, but, you know, if, if you're in a really obstinate marriage, sorry, I keep going back to marriage, just a lot more information on it. Um, you know, ultimately, you, you leave it to God, right? You can't, your wife is not your slave. You can't force it. It's up to her to submit. You lay down your life as best you can, and, and you lead as best you can. Women, you want your husband to lead, and they won't lead. You submit. And, and if you have to take on more of the father role as a parent, then do it. But you, you pray for God's intervention. And perhaps there's, there's, there's ways through the church to get help. I know I could go into so many details there. Romans 14, we studied recently about Christian liberty. Um, and maybe this is how a lot of Christian marriages work. It's probably basically how ours worked was... You know, we came to a decision point, and we had differences. And usually you could talk things out and come to an agreement. Or if the, even if we didn't come to an agreement, what if, I don't know, you know, what if the husband wants the wife to wear a head covering and she's not willing? <laughs> you know? In the end, she could, she could just wear the head covering, right? There's no sin in wearing the head covering, so for the sake of the husband. Or what if one believes Sunday is a Sabbath and one doesn't? Well, you could treat Sunday as a Sabbath, right? And no one's really injured in that. So some decisions, you can kind of come to a position that works for everybody. It's not always so easy. Um, certainly, you wouldn't go to the point of, you know, when I go out to eat, I'm going to order everything for my wife from the menu, right? That's ridiculous to take leadership to that level. But there are other things. What if you, we, we've had this at Spring Meadows. Husband believed in pedo baptism, the wife did not. What do you do with your children then? Do you baptize them or not? Is that an issue of liberty? That could be a tough one. Hopefully you talk about those things before you're married. But don't always. So, You know, there are, there are going to be tough decisions where understanding how to live out that role of leading or submitting is not so clear-cut. There are going to be situations at work. You think your boss is doing something that's, you know, not very good. Is it your job to be a whistleblower or not? You know, I don't know if there's black and white answers in some of those things. You seek counsel. Sometimes we need to just apply Romans 14, 22. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Don't try to make everyone underneath you like you. They're different people. 
Different image bearers of God, different servants of Christ. All right. If we have time for discussion, that might be a good one. What, what are some issues you've run into, and how, how did you come to a resolution in, in really sticky kind of situations? And I've kind of already mentioned this. Uh, number four, don't confuse categories. We're all equal before God. Wives are sons and kings who rule with Christ. They're part of the new man. Don't let these uh, you know, masculine words and pronouns confuse anything. Just like the husband is a part of the bride of Christ. Wives, children, and servants are raised up with their leaders. And so we, we can very easily say, oh, leader, they're, they're better, they're more significant. Um, particularly when we think of the analogy is to Christ and the church, right? Christ is higher than the church. And so we can wrongly view a husband as higher than his wife in that sense. Functional role, you might use that kind of word, but certainly not in value or worth. So be very careful about confusing categories. Uh, I don't know. I know the Mormons do this. I don't know if any other religious group does this, where their wife's eternal destiny is somewhat predicated on what they decide. That's not true. <laughs> That's not true at all. And also, look at some of the language he's already used. To, to be in some of these positions of submission are places of honor. To be a son is a huge place of honor. You're, you are an heir now. You receive all the inheritance. The love is put on you, predestined for, predestined for adoption to himself. To be a bride, a chosen bride, precious and beautiful in his sight. Those are places of honor, and we ought not to just discount them in our sin. Uh, by imaging spiritual realities, we don't fulfill them. We, we don't ultimately fulfill those realities. Like I said, uh, the husband is not the savior of the wife. The, the elder is not the chief shepherd. We, we can't ultimately, fulf ultimately fulfill those roles and take them on. And so, so much could be said there. I'm going to skip through some of the notes, but how do you apply certain things like that? Okay, so we're not, I'm not my wife's savior, but I would read those, those words about washing and cleansing and sanctifying my wife in the sense that I care for her holiness. And I'm going to order our home and our time and our week in a way that washes her with the word, gets her the word, and encourages her to be in the word. And you can compare this to 1 Peter 3, where women let your adorning be internal, not external. So husbands, encourage that. See your wife as beautiful, no matter what she looks like. Truly, not just say it so that she feels good, but truly value her and the inner person of the heart. So that she doesn't respond poorly and think she's got to put on a good face for you. Encourage her in those inner qualities. Okay. Um, I just want to quickly maybe fill in the blanks for you. I'm not going to be able to go through this section two there on the biblical character really, or number five I guess is on there. Um, you could run through, and I've given you the verses to run through, um, individual commands that we've seen and how they would play out. So let me just give a, say speak the truth. Chapter four, verse 25. We're to speak the truth to our neighbor. Well, how important is that in a marriage or in a family? And not, you know, to your neighbor, you don't owe them any information. You owe not to lie to them. You owe them the gospel, I guess you could say that. But you really, they don't have to know what I, where I was last night. My wife deserves that information. <laughs> you know, the, so it's not just truth, truth speaking and not lying, but I, I, 
I need to share my heart, open my heart. And so the, the, my point is the command to speak the truth to your neighbor is magnified when you get into these relationships. They take on a whole new um, context. And so you could think through these, that you would learn so much by speak, thinking through these. And what, okay, speak the truth. What would that mean in my marriage, uh, in my family, in my workplace, in my church, in society? What would that look like? And you could go on and on and on. Those would be worthy to meditate on. Be angry, do not sin, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. <laughs> How that would help so many marriages. And on and on. I, I don't have time to go through those. Chapter 5 or 7. Do not become partners with those in the darkness. Don't be, how much truer is that of a marriage? Choosing someone who loves Christ. is a co-heir of the grace of life with you. Uh, submission can be evangelistic. 1 Peter 2 says that we... By your conduct in society... They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. By doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Honor the emperor. way you live in society ought to say something. As they want to scorn you and malign you and they see your good word, works, they're going to glorify God on the day of visitation. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but it sounds like maybe people are going to come to faith and glorify God. Or certainly they're going to be able to bear witness of your true conduct. In a marriage, even if some don't obey to the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. 1 Corinthians 7, the unbelieving husband is made holy because of the wife. The unbelieving wife is made holy because of the husband. Otherwise, your children would become unclean, but as it is, they are holy. There are sanctifying influences and uh, and, and how you image this can be very evangelistic. And so take that seriously. Uh, we're called to submissive leadership. You've got verses there. Um, chapter 5, verse 20. We're submitting to one another. And like I said, to love your wife is really to submit of your own preferences, of your own time, of your own energies for her sake. There's really not as big of a difference as we might think. We're called a servant leadership. This is an important one, Matthew 20. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's how you're to lead. And when we talked about things being functional, um, Hebrews 13 is a good one. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. You know, if you rebel against your roles and against your calling as a Christian, you're not helping anything. You're, you're just messing things up. And, of course, the other person in that relationship is not perfect. Absolutely. And there are certain times where you kind of come to a crux, like, which way do I go? I get that. But you... For you to accept where God has called you, in 1 Corinthians 7, he talks about being single or married. To accept your calling can be a very challenging, difficult thing to do. But to do so will bring such blessing. And, and to pray for God to use your conduct in that relationship and even the failures in that relationship for his glory. 
And the last thing I'll just say is that we're called to sincerity. Not, not just a child listening to, you know, okay, with, with a bad attitude. You know, listen, have a good heart about it. Bond servants, don't be by mere eye service as people pleasers. You don't just do things while the boss is looking. And, the, and that whole idea of, of women with the internal, you know, the internal person of the heart. That's a, that's a, sincere, a sincerity that we need to have. I can say so much more, but I do want to leave a little bit of time. Uh, first of all, does anyone have any questions about what I've said? Have I confused anybody? Because I want to clear that up. Yes. I have a comment. Yes. Uh, everything you've talked about presupposes Ephesians 5, 18, uh, which talks about being filled with the Spirit. Uh, yes. For reading uh, Mark 1 and the book of Ephesians, he has a sixth volume of Four sermons on but God. Mm. <laughs> However, in the in the section there, uh, talking about the filling of the Spirit, these things are impossible to do. I mean, you haven't run up against uh, how difficult it is to fulfill either role. Uh, it's as you've already said, it's not easy to. It's impossible to love your wife the way Christ loves. Absolutely. It's impossible for her to submit. But with the presupposition of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, that's where we get the power to do it, to obey when we don't want to obey, or when we're struggling to obey. And forgiveness when we fail. You will fail. And if you cannot take in a relationship where your partner is failing, (laughs) things aren't going to go well. We need to be full of forgiveness. Yeah. Amen. All right, any other comments, questions? Any examples you want to offer up? Juicy examples? It's impossible, but it's still Yeah, it's what we're called to do. Absolutely. Saw a hand. See that hand? When I was younger, I was at a wedding. The pastor said that if a husband wants to know how they're doing as a husband, all you need to do is look at the countenance on your wife's face. And that was... For me, you know, I think a lot, a lot of that's true, like you said, you know, creating the time and space in your home, you know, leading your family spiritually, all those things will hopefully lead to your wife to be full of peace and content and feeling safe. But at the same time, I think there's also somewhat of a fallacy because, like you said, at the end of the day, my wife or anybody's wife's heart is the Lord. And it's, you know, it's her relationship with the Lord that is the actually you know, internally going to give her that peace. Yes. And so, I don't know if you have any comments on that, but to me, it's sometimes a lot of these things can be, they can create some more of a guilty conscience, but the, at the end of the day, I think as husbands, we have to understand, and as, as wives, we have to understand that at the end of the day, you know, the, the heart of our spouse, that's between them and the Lord. Yeah, you can, you say your opinion, right? You try to lead and say, this is why I think such and such. But yeah, you can't, can't force it in them. I think First Peter three is in a context there of a of a believing wife and an unbelieving spouse. You can just imagine every day, you know the, the how he's going to shut down. She's she's doing her best to share the gospel and tell him he's wrong. He's going to hell. And he needs a savior, and you know, <laughs> Peter, Peter's like, stop, just stop. You've done that. You needed to do that. Stop. Now submit to a relationship. Uh, let him see the the fruit of the gospel in your life. 
Sure, there'll be moments over time. I, I have a friend right now. I have a Christian friend who's pursuing an, an unbelieving girlfriend. And I, you know, the last five texts have gone unanswered. And I don't know. How long do I wait for the next one? I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to hound them. But I want to do it graciously. So it's tough. It's tough to know some of the details. Yeah. Amen. Thank God that it is. Well, and two, look, even if you disagree with the specific action that someone is taking, think, is their heart in the right place? Do, can you at least see the attempt? And that can be hard because maybe their heart's not in the right place. And you still need to submit or lead. It can be tough. Seriously? No more? I tried to stir up the can a little bit. No? All right. Let's pray. Our Father, we are so weak and needy. We thank you for the truths that we've been learning in Ephesians, these great mysteries that you are bringing to pass and bringing to bear in our own lives. And we know there's a lot more going on up there behind the scenes that we, we don't understand. So help us in, in humble reliance and true faith to trust you know what you're doing even in the way you've chosen to do it. Help us to trust you that as we walk out our Christian faith as individuals and in certain relationships, that you are going to bring, a, bring forth your glory. And we know, Father, that might be a path of suffering. That might be a path of things we wouldn't ask for. And help us to continue and endure in faith. Help us to look to Christ who also suffered on our behalf, who was not treated with the proper respect. Uh, They did not understand who he was. We know that one day all things will come to light. All things will, will be true. One day all knees will bow to Christ. And so help us to to understand the indwelling of the Spirit. Help us to feel him to, to know his presence, to know, to have confidence in our status, um, and so that we can walk confidently and courageously in this world. May we be humbled to know our great responsibility and yet encouraged to know we have a God who, who will complete all these things, even through us. What an honor to be part of uniting all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. Now as we go into worship, may our hearts cry out to our ultimate authority, to our chief shepherd. May we know that you will lead us and guide us. Uh, Thank you for a church body that functions well, that has leaders that love us. Help us to be the flock, loving one another, bearing one another's burdens, getting into each other's lives to help one another. Help us to be people that our brothers and sisters in Christ will run to we'll seek counsel from. May we be ever washed in your word, sanctified, uh, made new, growing in grace, and as a body growing uh, into unity, the stature of the fullness of Christ. May you do great things through Spring Meadows in Las Vegas. Um, And now be with us in a special way in our next hour. In Jesus' name, 
Amen.